0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Start a Puzzle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Start a Puzzle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation, I'm hoping, helps your business grow. All right, we all use insurance. You love it. You hate it. But you probably don't care too much about what makes the gears spin on the backside of all those transactions. Now, with that, we've got a guest today that's going to talk all about that. And we are going to get down into the dirty details and also present one of Denver's top startups to you. So many things to do, so little time to do it. Before we get started, I do want to let you know that taking care of employees has never been more important. For years, Gusto has been helping more than 100,000 small business owners run payroll, offer benefits, onboard new employees, and more. They call it the People Platform, and it doesn't just look nice. It actually works. Now, if you go down to the show notes, there's a link. You go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle so they know we sent you, and they continue to support what we do. Now back to what we're here to talk about that isn't related to payroll. All right, there's an app for that. But who builds apps? Who does this kind of stuff? And if you've ever tried to build software, you know it is hard. Today's guest is from the Glovebox app. And we have Ryan Matheson, the CEO and co founder. Now we're going to let him tell you more about what they do. But let's just first start by saying, Ryan, welcome to Startup Hustle.
1: What's up, Ad? Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's nice to uh, finally get on the show. I hear so many people listen to it, so it's nice to finally uh, get on and be able to ramble. But uh, hopefully, I bring some value.
0: So. The three or four people out there listening definitely appreciate uh, everything we'll talk about. At least we hope we do. Now, you know, no one tells the backstory of a company and the problem you solve and how you're doing it better than the founder or the co-founder. So why don't, I'm just going to give you the mic for a second and let's talk a little bit about the problem you solve.
1: No, I I love it. Um, You know, I'm, I'm always a firm believer in, uh, Being an expert in your space that you're trying to solve, living the problems that you uh, that that you um, are looking to better within the industry. Um, My background is in insurance and my dad started an independent agency here in Colorado like 35 years ago. So I grew up uh, in the insurance industry. I remember sitting at the kitchen table, helping him mail out like linking stamps and mailing mailers to, um, you know, prospective clients back in the, the, the mid 90s, um, you know, when email really wasn't a thing yet. Um, so I was always around the industry, came on to my dad's agency, um, about 10 years ago, um, little small agency here in Colorado at the time. Uh, and we scaled that to a really large agency over that 10 year period, uh, ended up expanding to 10 states across the western half of the US, grew our sales team to about 200 agents. Um, and agency private firm last summer, but Found in the process is there, was a huge you know gap in technology available to uh, independent insurance agents, and, and so I, I'm kind of one of those people that I don't let things go. I'm very very uh, annoying in that respect. I'm a gnat when it comes to figuring out you know problems and, and be, be uh, annoying on how to solve them. And for some reason, I started out on this journey about three and a half years ago to solve this technology problem within our industry. And I, I've never let it go since. And I, it's led me to this position. And somehow I've been able to rally people to, to join me on this journey. I don't know how or why they decided to uh, jump on board, but here we are today. And so that's kind of where I came from. I'm
0: gonna be a little more like hyper-specific about this. And, and, you know, and because I, I know you from your involvement with Launch KC. Yep. So you were part of the Launch KC InsureTech, the BCP Tech, Uh, Program and you know I and I do appreciate you saying that you're happy to be on the show. We did try to record a different episode with you and we talk about technology flopping and failing. Yeah, that's exactly what happened when we tried it. But I I have some familiarity with what you do, and I mean, really, on the most basic, like if we're going to just put it in layman's terms, you help insurance companies have an app.
1: Right. So we we bring your your agents and your insurance carriers into a centralized platform. So any insurance client can manage all of their insurance policies in one place, regardless of the carrier they're with. So you can manage your personal policies, whether it be home, auto, umbrella, toys, life, health, um, or you can manage your commercial policies, again, all in one single platform. So I don't have to go out to this app at this carrier to Uh, manage, you know, my renter's policy or my auto policy is over here with this carrier. I've got my life insurance over here, my health insurance over here. We're aggregating that experience into one centralized platform and we're the very first ones to do it.
0: So, you know, and I'm not going to pretend to be a super expert on the insurance industry, but I know enough about it to maybe be dangerous. And, you know, you have major insurer, you know, insurance companies that over underwrite policies. So yeah. It's not overwrite. Maybe it's underwrite <laughs> yeah, policies. Yeah, yeah, but but past, past that, the industry gets pretty fragmented into like what we could just refer to as like family offices, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got
1: you've got over 36,000 independent agencies across the US and an independent agent makes up about 35% of all business written in the US that's uh, consumer driven. Um, And essentially what an independent agent can do is they can write a multitude of different carriers. So they're not tied to one specific uh, insurance carrier. They can write from with anywhere from 10 to sometimes hundred different insurance carriers. And so think about from the client's perspective, when they're getting written with multiple carriers for separate policies and they're being moved and split up and one year where you're with this carrier but the next year I'm moving you over here, the value proposition for the consumer is great because they're getting shopped around all these carriers and they don't really have to lift a finger but the, when the servicing piece comes in of trying to remember who writes what, who to pay, where to file a claim, uh, where to get my documents, where to see my policies, you know, all of that kind of nuance of service was really uh, confusing. And so that's why we created our technology to create transparency for the consumers uh, with that regard.
0: Yeah, and you know, as the CEO and founder of FullScale, you know, what we do is we help people, we help companies like yours build teams of developers because there's a huge shortage of software developers. Then on top of that, you look, when you look at the insurance industry, you're talking about 36,000 independent offices if they don't have a solution like yours that they can white label and get into easily well they don't they're not technology companies typically right. they sell insurance they're in sales and marketing and that's where that fragmented you know when i say fragment, i mean you have 36,000 different entities if they want to build an app or a solution well there it's good it, without something like glovebox app and go to gloveboxapp.com if you want to learn more about what ryan and his company do but you know you make it ex- a, a, well, it becomes accessible. Yep, exactly. And currently, these agencies
1: are having to hire and staff, you know, service people to handle really nominal service requests that doesn't make the company any revenue. It actually costs them quite a bit of revenue and resources. And the consumers are getting more and more frustrated because they have to call or email their agent anytime they need anything. And, and so it's really created this tug of war on both sides where nobody's really happy. Um, And so we can inject our technology into the equation, which really uh, allows agencies to minimize their customer service uh, costs and being able to reallocate those expenses into selling more insurance, which is the goal. And then really giving their consumers a a platform that allows them to access the things that they need when they want it without having to call or email and wait for responses. Um, And so really it's solving uh, quite a bit of the value chain there
0: uh, on both sides. Yeah, I think a lot of people that haven't built any type of software and app don't inherently understand, A, how difficult it is, B, how expensive it can be, C, yeah. how many things can go wrong on the way to either getting it right or not, and then D, the fact that, it well, while apps are a little more apt, to not need an ongoing development team, they do need maintenance and they need updates. And every time you change a developer, so if you build an app and then wanna have someone else service it a year later, well, they may or may not be able to do that. And you know, building 36,000 one-off solutions is also remarkably inefficient and not great. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know I mean, I mean
1: <laughs> if I could hindsight it, from the beginning of when we started this, uh, there's a lot of recommendations I would make to people that are maybe looking to build a technology and how to go about it. Um, I don't regret anything that we've done or the way we did it because we're still getting to where we wanted to go. But what would I have done things maybe in a different order or maybe some of the things that we did do, I would recommend because I think we did it correctly. So there, there's a lot of things that I, I would uh, bring up to people that are thinking about starting a technology that might help either uh warn you about maybe thinking twice about getting into technology or just better equipping yourself to understand uh the road you have ahead because it is not easy
0: (laughs) yeah over the last over the last 10 years i've been walking around with a sign on my back that says ask me yeah um and a lot of people have and you know i i constantly tell people this you know like make sure you know what you're getting into because the rabbit hole is unforgiving and you can really throw a lot of money down it and not end up where you want to be or not be happy with what you have. And I think it's super cool the the way that software as a service is changing, like you have no code platforms that are creating accessibility to a lot of people and then stuff like Glovebox app. And, and you know, five years ago, there wasn't anything that does what you do. Right. 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 Yep. Maybe not even a couple of years ago. No, not at all. I mean, we
1: are kind of uh, the the voyager on this on this um, uh, engagement with the industry. I, I I for sure thought someone was going to do it a couple of years ago, and when no one did it, I kind of stepped up and said, "All right, cool, we'll build it." And so that was kind of our aha moment over beers, of course. Um, and that's kind of how we made the decision to to
0: get going. The best, the best made plans are usually written on bar napkins, is what I've found. Um, And we all make our best decisions after drinking, anyway. So why not bundle the two together, right? Exactly. If we can make life decisions, that's a win-win. So, so you you brought up something that's an interesting uh, conversation point. So, you know, I've talked to a lot of people about competition and you know, I get people, I've had a lot of people that oh, I don't have any competition. And then it takes me five minutes to not only debunk that, yeah. but find like dozens of competitors. <laughs> so a lot of people don't look into competition, but sometimes when you look and there isn't competition, that can be a red flag because <sighs> here in 2020, I, I mean, look, 20 years ago, there were still lots of original ideas and things and approaches you could do with software and technology. Yeah. And now it's like, where can we go where there's only five people doing it? So right. when you when you were looking at this years ago and saying, I don't see competition, was that exciting or did you have any of the thoughts like I was just having? Like, well, why hasn't anyone done this yet? You always have the thoughts. Like, am I just like cruising down this road
1: kind of blindly hoping that uh, the idea sticks? Um, I, It definitely took someone that is within our industry to create our product because the intricacy of the relationships between the carrier and the agent and the client and who handles what and what can be solved digitally, what can't, there's just a lot of nuances. And so I think that's one of the main reasons why is because nobody inside of the industry has stepped up to say, hey, I'm going to build this. And then B, the idea of working with insurance carriers is daunting they're not the most technologically advanced or known to be technically advanced. So you're swimming upstream 365 days a year trying to connect to their technology and you have to be patient and you have to be, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you have to be annoying. You have to be in their ear nonstop. And so I think for those two reasons, uh, nobody's really wanted to take on this this challenge. And so we're just maybe dumb enough to, to try to, take it on and it's been uber successful thus
0: far so yeah and for anyone out there that's that's getting ready to launch or think about doing something if you're if the people you have to partner with or integrate with are is megacorp and we'll just leave that general you expect it to not occur quickly because you know like i don't i have no idea how many people state farm employs, but i know it's a lot (laughs) <laughs> and if you got to now you got to find a decision maker or anyone that cares or all of that. And it, I mean, it can it can be frustrating, not to mention, you know, like, why do they care about you? And that's no. that, it's that initial it's that initial <laughs> traction. You're like, hey, how many how many clients and users do you have? Well, we got three.
1: Yeah. Right. Know, they're
0: like, ah, Call us back <laughs> when there's a couple zeros after that.
1: With your help, you get there. No, uh, we had. uh, They don't.
0: They don't want it. Yeah, that's not. They don't care too much. So, so the question is: is you know, what that amongst other things, what were the really, what were the big obstacles you had to climb over, traverse, or learn about early? Uh, Realizing that if I send an email to a carrier, they're not going to jump all
1: over it. (laughs) Like, oh, if I just send an email, you know, the idea is so good. It's like, how could they not? And I think. That's the mistake that most entrepreneurs make is just because you think it's a great idea. doesn't mean everybody else thinks it's a great idea for whatever that's worth. Who cares what they think? Like it could be a great idea. It could not be a great idea. But one example, I had a acquaintance of mine in the insure tech space. He's looking to build, um, you know, a product within the space that it's a good idea. It's going to be a lot of work. I introduced him to one of my carrier partners and said, here you go. You know, talk to him and see if you can get a meeting. emails me like three days later and he's like, Ryan, I haven't heard back. I don't understand. We had such a good first meeting. You know, I'm I'm ready to go. And I was like, Michael, (laughs) like three days, you've given him three days and like three days is like five minutes when it comes to corporate. Like it took me months and months and months and months and multiple different meetings just to get to a meeting that may make a decision at some time in the near future. And so I think that's one of the biggest things that i learned is people don't they don't run off your expect uh, expectations for timeline they don't prioritize your idea and your opportunity ahead of anything else just because you think it's a good idea so i think that was maybe the hardest thing that i learned is really understanding what i needed to do to grow our team and our user base and our loyalty to be able to shift the mindset of corporate America, uh, within the insurance industry so that I could get what I needed from them. And so, you know, it's really understanding what you can do other than relying on them in order to push them maybe to prioritize your project. There's a lot of learning that went into that.
0: I had a similar conversation internally, uh, last week, and it was about who we had reached out to. And I said, you, you're not talking to the right person. I said that person doesn't care. You're just giving them one more thing to do potentially. Right. And that's why it matters who you're talking to and that that's why that's the megacorp example cuz yeah. you know who cares? Like it's just right. one more thing to do and yeah. uh, I mean it's a challenge. It's a challenge and it, it, that's that's the hardest part about any startup is getting it actually moving. It's like an empty marketplace. You know, it's uh uh, you know, I, I talk to people that have marketplace apps. I'm like, you need to get buyers and sellers in there. And I don't care how you do it. You got to figure out how to get them in there. Otherwise, and maybe this is a in good taste or not. I said, it's like that bar that you walk into at midnight on a Friday and there's no one there. So you just yep. turn around and leave. Yeah, And that can be the same thing. It's like, and I, I would admit it's chicken and egg problems, man. And we could go on and on and on about that. Now, yeah. at the top of the episode, I mentioned that this episode is sponsored by Gusto, and I want to thank them for that. And so just so you know, you know, paydays are great, but running payroll, calculating taxes, deduction, compliance, it's not easy unless, of course, you have something like Gusto. And Gusto's simple online payroll and benefits built for small business. Gusto automatically files your payroll taxes, directly deposits your team pay, uh, and offers all kinds of other stuff like access to 401k, health insurance, workman's comp. And because you're Start a Startup Hustle listener, you can get three months free. Once you run your first payroll, go to gusto.com forward slash Startup Hustle. Once again, gusto.com forward slash Startup Hustle. There's a link in the show notes. Now, you told me before the show that you were about to become a Gusto user. Yeah, which is weird. No, totally unplanned. But um... it actually happens a lot. They've sponsored about think, yeah. 10 episodes. And I think most of the people I talked to either used them or were thinking about it. So there's something there. I mean, what, what drew yeah. you to them?
1: Our CTO, uh, he runs his own development firm, and he's like, I have used so many different platforms to try to manage my employees, the payroll, uh, the benefits, and he's like, Gusto is the best by far. Um, So, he's like, I would go with Gusto, don't even look anywhere else, and we're getting ready to hire uh, a lot of people here in Q1, and just the thought of like you know, employee documentation, yeah, payroll tax and setting up payroll and the benefits and and doing all that. And so, uh, yeah,
0: he told me Gusto's the show. And so that's where I'll be going. Dude, all that all that stuff as a new founder or uh, just a business owner in general, well, it's like the undertow at the beach. Like it'll suck you under and drown you. And, and yeah. you know, especially when it comes to, like payroll, like, I mean, that's stuff that should be automated and there's so many intricacies. You have tax and just, I mean, and dude, the bigger you get, the more it is to keep up with because you get weird stuff too. Like you have, now you have 50 employees and there's some dude that didn't pay his child support Yeah, and you got to garnish wages and yeah. like crap like that. And you're like, ah, I mean, I'd rather that, that kind of stuff is not, for me and I, I prefer it so yeah now you talk about you know stuff like that being able to guide you through stuff like that when it came to glovebox app you know who's someone that either invested mentored or partnered with you early that really made an impact on the business um so we have a pretty unique uh board member
1: um his name is uh scott mcneely Ex-co-founder and CEO of Sun Microsystems out in San Francisco. Um, sold to Larry Ellison at Oracle, if that name rings a bell. I'm just dropping names. Which yeah. right. um, so oddly enough, my brother out of college went to KU, go Jayhawks. Um, he, yep. he got a, um, a a job right out of college here in Denver with Scott McNeely's uh, digital firm called uh, In. And essentially what in did was allowed um, people who were watching sporting events to weigh in on the sporting event so they would create engagement with the sporting event what do you think about this here's some stats you know engage with it um and my brother ended up being scott McNeely's uh social media uh personal social media handler which is a lot of responsibility for someone straight out of college um and so he created a relationship with scott McNeely. fast forward uh nine years later um we continued to engage with Scott told him about what we were growing he was uh, giving us advice on you know his tech background and long story short we got him to join our advisory board last uh, November uh, over breakfast in Silicon Valley and so he's probably been our biggest mentor that we've worked with
0: what's what's a key uh, bit of advice or takeaway that he's he's either shoved you towards or suggested?
1: Uh, he gave us uh some harsh realities on raising capital um and it's a lot <laughs> but was it was it that it sucks well yeah I, I, i'm a novice when it comes to raising capital that's not my gig that's not where i come from and so i always had and it, maybe other founders have thought this as well i always thought that there would be someone that would come along that's like oh my god this is such a good idea let me just pump a bunch of money into it and we'll make it awesome like we're just gonna come in and you know the magic fairy is going to come in and raise, wave her wand and, and make it awesome. That doesn't happen. There's never going to be someone that just comes swoops right in and dumps a bunch of money in your company because they love the idea as much as you do and go. And it's a billion-dollar business. Um, and so he kind of helped me out in understanding like the work that I needed to put in in order to, you know, uh, present our company correctly to, um, investors and really make sure that I'm on the right path to, um, you know, revenue and, uh, making sure that I could, I could show returns to my investors. And so that's, that was a smack in the face for me. Um,
0: as I learned raising capital does suck. It is, uh, for <laughs> Yeah, we're we're coming up on episode 500 to start a puzzle. That's, that's coming up here in about 10 days, actually. And episode two, we go back to the OG, uh, the original gangster episodes. Number two is titled Getting Funded Sucks because yeah. it does. I mean, we started this podcast and to tell people the real story. And by the way, speaking of the real story, you know, we're launching a web series, Start a Puzzle TV is. Going to come out uh, in the first week of February, and we're pretty excited because we want to show people what it's really like to be an entrepreneur—not just the bells yeah. and whistles and shiny things—and the the funding part um, is, uh, you know, gosh, it, by, there's probably one time in the history of funding that what you said didn't happen actually did, right? Wow, Meaning like someone's like, God, this is an amazing idea. I've got a hundred million dollars for you. But that wasn't someone that hadn't built a tech company before or didn't do this or didn't do that. Like the only times when that kind of stuff occurs, when you've got someone that's just, you know, now got that Midas touch and, and, you know, with that, you hadn't done tech before. So I would imagine that that was something, I don't know, there's, it's, if it's not one thing, it's another. And you need to keep in mind for if you're wanting to raise capital, the people that write these checks, they have 100 people for, that ask for every one that they consider. That doesn't even mean write a check to, that means consider. So you got to find some ways to stick out and stand out. And, you know, that can start with what your plan is, what your target market is, who you are, all of that. But I mean, how did you begin to plan for that in your business? Like as if you don't know you have capital coming in, it makes the planning a little tough. (sighs) And it's another chicken in the egg, right? They
1: want to see results. They want to see revenue. They want to see traction. But how do you get revenue results and traction if you don't have funding to build the product to get into the client's hands? So there's a lot of like chicken in the egg that goes on. Um, we were lucky enough. Uh, we self-funded for our first year and a half. Um, so we, we put a lot of money into the company of our own capital. I figured, if, hey, if we were going to make mistakes, I'd rather do it on my own dime so that I can answer to one person and that's my wife. Um, other than that, uh, we didn't have to really rely on funding. We just started raising capital in October of this year or of last year. I'm sorry. God, it's 2021. Um, and just to get ready, you know, I would work with Scott he would help me on my deck. Um, he introduced us to probably 50 larger VC firms, um, of people that he knew. And then I got aggressive. I went on crunch base, found people in the insure tech space that are investing, set my own meetings. And actually I set a lot of meetings. Um, you know, I was able to set a lot of second, second meetings as well. The most annoying thing is you meet with people and then they come back and they ask the same questions that you just told them about. And it's like, you don't even understand my business. Like you don't understand what we're doing. Uh, and so that's very deflating when you spend so much time meeting with these people and then they just don't get it. And then they pass because they're like, look, we don't, we don't get the space. We don't understand insurance. Um, so that is a really difficult The biggest thing that we did to transition to make it a lot easier, uh, we went back and forth on valuation quite a bit on this seed round, which was painful. We didn't end up coming to terms. We actually pivoted to uh, doing convertible notes for now so that we could get capital. um, And that worked a lot better. The convertible notes uh, seemed to flow a lot easier for us. We don't have to talk about valuation. um, And we could get the working capital that we needed to scale. So.
0: Yeah, and you know the so how many did you actually? How many meetings, calls, or attempts did you go through before you before you got an investor? So just to shoot from the hip.
1: Yeah, no, uh, seventy-five mm-hmm. meetings. Um, we got two official term sheets out of seventy-five meetings, and we turned them both down. We couldn't come to terms. Um, so yeah, it was a lot. <laughs>
0: A lot of like, you- listen to that, people listen, because that's the real That's that I asked because I knew it was going to be something out there. And yeah. it's, it's. Uh, you know, I talked to people a lot and they said, well, I, I wasn't able to get any funding. I'm like, how many people do you talk to? They're like, I had three meetings. I'm like, you're about 97 away Yeah. from being in the range where I'm going to say you tried pretty hard. Yeah, uh, maybe handle. maybe 50. Like, yeah. And it's, uh you know, and, and the thing is, is it is deflating. Yeah, it's uh, it's tiresome because I think that every founder wants to just get back to get back to work. Yep. And doing like you're not obsessed with raising capital. You're obsessed with building your business. And then it really is like a full time job. I mean, it's the and then the things like you said, like the constant questions for, you know, for me, I tell people now I make it as simple as possible. Like No one wants your 60 page document. Nope. Not in the beginning. Nope. That's like a due diligence thing. Like if you can't fit your idea on the front of a piece of paper. Yeah. It's, it's going to continue to be misunderstood because no one's you're dealing with type a people that are going to not care until they do. No, they don't so, at all. okay. So speak, speaking of plans, <clears throat> we like to say that we like to quote Mike Tyson. When we say everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Which is a very, very uh, amazing quote from our our buddy Iron Mike. Now, with that, plans are always wrong. You always, if you make a plan for your startup, most of it, if not all of it, is going to be wrong. Especially financial projections; those are like, ha, no way. <laughs> yeah. What was something that you planned for that you look back at now and you're like, God, I can't believe we thought that would work. <laughs> Uh you know I don't
1: know if it was uh so we had an epiphany moment like it took us about a year in building the tech before we could launch. So we're sitting in our conference room, I remember it like vividly. Monday morning and we're like, "Oh my god, it's launch week. Like we can start launching agencies, going to be awesome." And so we're looking at the whiteboard and I'm looking at like our process for rolling out these agencies and I looked at it and all three of us were like, we have to automate this entire section of this rollout process and we had not thought of it before. So it's really not what we didn't, or we did do, it's what we didn't do. And we overlooked 30% of our business of what we didn't do and what we didn't automate, so now we had to delay rollout for another four months while we built this automation system because we have to have it. Like we're like human beings will never do this right. They just don't care that much. We have to automate this and to automate it was very intricate. It was detailed. There was a lot of data. And so I think that was probably our biggest oversight was what we did. It's not what we did do. It's what we didn't see until like, Hey, it was like ready to rock and roll. And we had to backtrack for about four months and build it. And thank God my business partner, Sean Muller stepped up and he's like, look, I'll handle it. And so he kind of stepped into this role. Of the automation and the data, and now all of a sudden he's like a data scientist, you know, for you know, fast track, you know, a year later. Um, so yeah, that was that was our biggest thing, our biggest moment of oversight was that our automation.
0: <laughs> okay, golden nugget quote of the day: Humans will never figure this out. Yeah, <laughs> that's a rule of thumb, people. Yeah, just let, us and I'm being freaking serious, man. Just make that your assumption when it comes to your onboarding, to your use, everything. Think it out. Yeah. Like, think it out. Prevent people from being dumb Yep. and uh, almost. So I have a, I call it five and seventy five. So if a five year old or a seventy five year old can't easily figure it out, it's too complex. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> and, and, you know, we'll give you a little bit there. But, you know, the and the point is, is like you mentioned, like automating it or doing something like people are inherently lazy. Modern software walks people through setup and it, and it, it, when you hear the phrase intuitive, that means it either does what it just should do and doesn't make you take another action or it asks, right. You know, do you want to go down path A, path B or path C? And if it's super intuitive, it'll tell you why you should go down or what could happen or any of that. And The idea that and especially all right. So we already identified thirty six thousand family offices of insurance providers. Let's just assume they're not technologists, because I would say overwhelmingly they're not. Right. So you gotta take all that guesswork out of it. And yeah, you know, what was I, I imagine there's probably other things that that fell into that same bracket. It's
1: it's Again, back to my, back to my theme of nobody cares about your product as much as you do. Like these people do not care. <laughs> or your business. They or like your it. business. Yeah, they like, yeah. It. They like the concept. Yeah. They like the feeling that they get of, oh, this is going to work and it's going to be awesome. But I don't want to do anything to like make yeah. it work. Just make it work. And so that, yeah, you've got to realize that nobody cares as much as you do ever, 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 ever in anything. Investing, development, resource, it doesn't matter. They don't care. So... Feelings,
0: feelings. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> your thoughts, your desires, yeah. Your life, you're, yeah. You're it's really uh, I mean, but it's true. Yeah, it's it's it sounds jaded and pessimistic, but you know, I turned forty six this year. I'm getting old. I've done this for a while. Like, oh, I just cut to the chase, people. Like Ryan hit that nail on the head, like Miyagi style, one blow, the nails <laughs> in. You got it. So, you know, all right, so. Now you build something and I can tell that you're a salesperson. I can just, I can just tell, I can tell because I'm I'm a salesperson and we know each other. We, we recognize this, but what you were selling before with insurance is a completely different sale sales process and everything. 80%. Now, look, if you went to business school, you know, that Acme Corp sells widgets, Hmm right? Yep. And because 80% of the sales process is very repeatable in almost any industry. Right. It's that next 20% that is a mystery to so many people. So with that, and like I said, I can tell you, you, you had a successful insurance agency, so you had to be able to sell something. Right. Right. How did you, what did you need to learn to sell Glovebox app to users? And what was your approach for actually getting it out into the market? Yeah. Um,
1: honestly, it wasn't that difficult of a pivot. And here's why I'm, I spent six to seven years training agents how to grow their business. Um, and mm. you know, I created that plan of how they come in from day one, what their first, second, third, fourth year is going to look like. And how do we get insurance agents to make the money that they want to make, get to the you know get achieve their goals within the company, uh, et cetera. And so the way we sell Glovebox to agencies is literally training them how to run their agency better based on what we already knew because we've already done it. And so it's really not a big pivot for us. We are just uh, showing agencies a better way of how we did it. And then our technology is facilitating that approach. So instead of the manual ways that we used to have to do it in order to achieve our results, now we've got a technology that helps us facilitate it. So it wasn't a big pivot for us from the sales side. We're talking about insurance and, and we built a large agency. So we, we get a little bit of uh, respect there when we talk to agencies because they know we've lived the problems. They know we've, you know, successfully done what they've done. Um, we spent about the first year just on marketing because we didn't have a product yet. The product was still being built. And so we really focused on, Again, being that uh, authority figure in our industry, reaching out to agencies, you know, having conversations, getting our social media marketing, getting in the, you know, the all the chats of all the tech groups, and, and really uh, creating strategic partnerships. Um, there was some running jokes in the industry that people never thought our product was going to come out because we were always the coming soon, like ah, oh, it's coming soon, just wait, the bomb is coming, and we were always the coming soon. And uh, once the product finally hits. Uh, it was a nice convergence of the marketing. So, you know, the,
0: you, that's a, that is the smart, you did the smart thing there because too many people wait until they have built something and then it's too late. Right. Because now you've got, it's like, uh, it's like having dead air Yeah. on a rate, you know, on a radio show or a podcast or something. We were just sitting here being quiet. Yeah. <laughs> For 30 seconds, you'd think we'd signed off. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens if you wait. And you, you know, the, the internet is a very crowded world. And if you're a content marketer building relationships, all of that, it takes a little bit. So yeah, that I mean, get started on selling or figuring out all of that ahead of time. Now, you said something earlier, I'm going to challenge you here. So as the founder of Gigabook, when we launched that, I felt that that our users were going to be really excited to run a more efficient business because I'm that way. And I was like, God, they're going to love this. And then I found so many of them didn't give a shit, right? They didn't care at all. Right. I was like, wow, and they just don't care. They just yeah. they weren't, weren't too worried about it. It wasn't, it wasn't until maybe a year into it, I realized that the real benefit of what we were doing was peace of mind. And you know you say so like while someone might not care if their business is efficient They do care that you're removing all the headaches and all the BS and all the other crap and like with online booking like you Well, you use gigabook to schedule this podcast. You saw what time it was it asks you a few questions It sends you reminders. It does all of it Like if I had to do all that myself, I would not have peace of mind, right? Which is a hell of a lot more valuable to me than 15 bucks a month so did you have that same epiphany at some point? Cause I, I got to feel like so many, like, I don't know, there was something in there you're like, cause I'm not buying that running a better business was actually the real reason that everyone cared. No, and that gets lost in the, you know, the shuffle. Like how many times you get hit up
1: every week about run your business better. You know, it's a very abstract idea that I think people get inundated with. And so it doesn't resonate. So you got to pick a lane and we picked a lane. it was like, okay. What is our core premise of value? Okay, we want to minimize your service expense. So we want you to have to deal with less service reps from a hiring and managing and training uh, perspective, which if you're in insurance, you know what a headache it is to hire, manage, and train CSRs. It's very difficult. And so we picked that lane. And we said, hey, if we can reduce that by 30%, is that interesting to you? Of course it's interesting. Every agency deals with that problem. And so that's how we built our value proposition and our marketing proposition off of that idea. And we kind of picked that lane. Now our product solves and, and provides a lot of value in other ways, but we're not gonna get in the weeds, right? We're gonna focus on that thing. That's how we get them on the hook. And, and we kind of expand out from there. Everything else is just a bonus at that point. And so that's really what we did was we, did, we picked a lane.
0: You gotta pick a lane. And you know, those, those two lanes for businesses are sell more or spend less. Right. If you can do if you can travel in both lanes, then you're really on to something. But if you can't, if you're a B2B product and you and you're not centric around helping that other business sell more or spend less, then you might not have a great idea. You know, and and another thing, too, I I really realized with GigaBook was um, the value of helping them spend less was perceived as being a lot less than selling more, even though saving money is making money, right but the perception is is like businesses will justify an exponentially larger cost to create a sale and say that sale makes twenty bucks, they they'll still spend more money to get that twenty dollars as opposed to. Yep. The low-hanging fruit right in front of them, which might be something that saves them twenty dollars, but and they'll pay way less for that. It just, I don't, it just, it's, I don't know. I've just accepted that as being reality. It's home runs versus
1: base hits, right? Nobody goes to a baseball game looking for base hits. Like that's not why they don't I have. Mean, you can't
0: hit a ball grand. Ball. You can't hit a grand slam yeah. if the guys in front of you in the order don't get some walks or hits. And yeah, you exactly. Know, so. They
1: don't. They don't have a base hit contest in the middle of summer, so they have a home run contest. <laughs> That's you know. Yeah, it's
0: the- it, it, it's funny. Uh, several years ago, I talked to someone that wanted was interested in acquiring Gigabook, and you talk about weird conversations. The very first thing this guy says to me, he says, "Well, I've done some research on you." He goes, "You seem like someone that's really great at hitting doubles." And I was <laughs> like, "Wow, that's a really weird way to meet someone for the very yeah. first time." You're like, "Hey." You, you hey last time i checked though uh there's a lot of dudes that get a lot of doubles uh that are on the all-star team and have some pretty dope contracts so yeah uh, but yeah i mean and, and that's the thing too it's like as a as a startup founder man look for get on base man yeah get on base look at look at moneyball moneyball was all about just getting guys that like i don't care how you get on base a walk a hit whatever get on and that's that's part of like being a startup founder and having successful businesses, like they're not all home runs. If you're up there swinging for the fences every time, you're going to have a lot. Well, you're going to sit on the bench with your head in your hands a lot.
1: And if you're looking at everything on LinkedIn, of you know, people getting funded and people, you know, selling to for large numbers, you'll, you'll you'll drown your own uh, focus into places that you know you don't want to be. I, uh, I I don't have you heard of the insurance carrier by chance? Hippo's getting pretty big. No. So Hippo is an insure tech. They started, gosh, four years ago, and uh, the founder was on a podcast a couple months ago, just talking about the very first days in the business. And by the way, they just they they went unicorn a couple years ago, so they're like a billion two. And I think they just got valued at like two point five billion, and they're about to go public. But he was talking about like his very early days of trying to get clients on board. And he was calling his mom and his uncle and like anybody who would listen to him just to buy a policy from him so that he could test like his uh, technology to make sure it's working. And like, it was like the very instrumental days of a business, but it's what has to happen. Like you have to come hat in hand and understand that, you know, you gotta get one, two, three, four users before you can get 10, 20, 30, 50, hundred users. And so you gotta understand that that is not wasted time in your business and you're not failing because you, You got to start somewhere. I I thought that was really impactful when I heard it. I was like, oh, man, this guy's, you know, his companies were two and a half billion dollars. And he's talking about begging his mom to buy a policy like (laughs) Uh,
0: every every any and all businesses were at one point a startup. They were all on day one. They were all pre revenue. Now, that said, I you know, it was almost 10 years ago when I kind of just quit caring about other commentary because you got to run your own race you know and like your story's different like your story's gonna be different than mine no matter what yep. like it's just the way it goes and if you get too caught up in looking around at all the things well, now you're in these lanes that we talked about if you're looking off to the side or the rearview mirror or whatever you're gonna miss what's in front of you you're gonna miss your exit yep. you're gonna you're gonna take a wrong turn like you gotta you do not look in the rearview mirror and you gotta put on blinders uh Every bit, and I've owned multiple businesses that generated significant profit. And at some point on all of them, someone told me it was a shitty idea that it would fail, asked, told me I was crazy. You know, I quit three different jobs before I was 30 that most people work a lifetime to get. Yeah. And they are like, how are you ever going to make any money? I'm like, I see it. I just got to figure out how to jump this, you know, build a bridge or do whatever, or like yeah. jump and then build wings. But I see it and I know it's there. Yeah. So uh, there's a level of, of sensitivity that you have to get rid of. And like I said, man, it's as I've gotten older, I just quit caring because I find that most people that are throwing stones at you, they're doing it from a vantage point that is not where you are right you know instead try looking up and and what's easier climbing the mountain on your own or asking those on top to help you up yeah I love and it. you know right there like and if you're looking down like just look up and yeah. and, and and yell can i get a hand as <laughs> cool. much as, as much as possible now, now by the way speaking about getting a hand with some stuff i do want to thank gusto again So if you run a startup, you have to try Gusto Payroll, deposit paychecks, file payroll taxes automatically. You can get employee health insurance, onboarding, expert HR and more. You get three free months when you go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Make sure you don't forget that because I want to help you keep some money in your pocket. Once again, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Ryan, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode that the glove box app has been named to startup hustles, top Denver startups. Congratulations on that. But I want to talk about Denver for a second before we round this episode out. So Denver's hot, man. Like a lot of, you know, we, we made the, we had to expand. We have been making those lists, you know, 10 to 12. And for Austin and, and Denver, we had to expand them because there's just so much startup activity there. Uh, what give us a couple of What's up with Denver?
1: Yeah, I think, um obviously, if if people know you know even have any idea about tech, uh, it's definitely uh, expanding outside of California. It's not all based in Silicon Valley anymore. Obviously, Austin's a huge hub. But yeah, a lot of people moving from Cali, um, coming to Denver, uh, realizing that um, you know we have uh, the infrastructure and the uh, the tech talent to support businesses' growth. My CTO actually literally just moved to Denver last week from San Diego. So, and he's ready to scale our development team here in Colorado. Um, so yeah, I think, I think VCs are absolutely more uh, um, attracted to other markets and not just Silicon Valley businesses. Um, they see the value, uh, not paying California taxes, which is you know, another conversation for another day. Um, but yeah, Denver is an emerging tech scene for sure. And it's growing like a weed. Our uh, Denver uh, startup week, is uh, a huge event now so we've watched it grow over the past couple of years and it's definitely exciting
0: when you move to denver because it's more affordable than where you currently live i yeah, will right? say i wonder where you live because here in kansas city i i yeah i lived in colorado for four years i i went to fort lewis college at yeah. one point point in durango yeah. And not next to Denver, but in Colorado. And this is a long time. This is before weed was legal, before any of it. I mean, why did I have to live there before weed was legal? Yeah, no, was, <laughs> all <the but> <laughs> now, now, with that, I have a lot of friends that are in Colorado, and I noticed that a lot of a, a lot of this upswing actually came with like that. I don't know if it was related, but the timing of the two. You know, Denver and Colorado in general really took off. I don't know if it's the revenue that was created from that, just the general attention. But yeah, I mean, Denver and Austin. Now, Austin uh, is, in my opinion, made that step. They're they're in, so I I look at, at, well, four tiers Kansas City being in the third. You have these top tier, you have New York, uh, Chicago, Miami uh, the San Francisco, Austin now, cause everyone packed up and moved to Austin. Yep. Uh, then, then that's that next tier is, is Denver. Yep. Uh, you know, it's, and, and there's a lot of cities that are similar to that. And then that third tier is like the Kansas cities, uh, just smaller markets. But yeah, I mean, one of the goals I'd like to see of my hometown here in KC is to get into that conversation with Denver and, Yeah. Um, You know, we've got a pretty robust startup scene here in Kansas City. And it it just kind of, you know, you get into that, 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 I don't know, there's some cities that are really just figuring it out and they just seem to attract that. The beauty of Colorado certainly doesn't hurt. Um, Yeah. The weather doesn't hurt, but yeah, I mean, KC as well. I mean, being part of the VCP
1: accelerator uh, the end of last year based out of Kansas City. I mean, I got a taste for what's happening at KC and I think, I don't think you guys are far behind. For sure, I think.
0: Um, yeah, we're getting, we're getting there. Yeah, it depends have, on, think, on who you on who you ask and what day it is yeah. and, and and what you like and what you don't like and you know a lot of things changed in 2020 and I don't know, man. I all I know the one thing I've learned, especially through this podcast, is there are a ton of awesome people doing awesome things everywhere. Yeah, yeah. everywhere. Absolutely, everywhere. We're so not, absolutely yeah, you could. You could. <laughs> So. yeah and you can always look for something that you know there's there's things you going like you mentioned you're in denver but you participated in a startup accelerator that's here in kansas city and you know that's something that my company full scale is proud to support and does a lot of stuff so i was glad to to get you guys into that we we produced the demo day we managed to make insurance technology interesting for an entire half hour ryan there you go
1: man and nobody fell asleep well i can't vouch for that somebody may have fallen asleep now uh Insurance tech is interesting. I'm a nerd. Obviously, I love insurance, but it is if you work in insurance. But outside of that,
0: like, yeah, it's. If you think
1: about it, it? if I can give you ten minutes of your life back by making insurance easier to deal with, like, okay, that's a win for you. So, you know, that's my goal. If I can spend the next ten years giving you ten minutes a year of your life back, like, I'll take that trade off.
0: So. When when they when they called and asked if we would do the demo day, I literally the first words out of my mouth were only if I can do it my own way. (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, because typically demo day, which is like that crescendo of a startup accelerator is well, usually it's done in person. So we had to do it a little differently. And then you uh, company kind of takes the mic and they talk for a little bit and then it's on to the next person. And honestly, I fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah, like demo day, like it, it can be excruciating depending on where it's at. So, yeah, we actually set that up a little more like a TV show. It was uh, uh, quite honestly, that was really what that was, was a paid trial for our upcoming Start a Puzzle TV show. I love it. And that really was that really was true. That's why we, we sat down and talked about it. We're like, oh, we really don't do stuff like yeah. this, but it'll be good practice for that. By the way, don't ever start your own TV show. That's <laughs> sure. the advice I want you to leave. It's, it's a lot of work.
1: Funny enough, uh, my my wife's uh, good friend is a, a producer out of uh, L.A. Uh, she's worked on a lot of movies. Now she's doing uh, some TV shows on Netflix. We actually pitched her the idea of making our uh, journey from the very beginning uh, a series show that, like, hey, follow us from the very beginning and, and watch the drama. And our first season would have been pretty good. We had a lot of things happen.
0: Well, that's, I think, uh, that's kind. Of, that's kind of what we're doing in many ways, yeah. except for across any industry, any stage, any type, any location. So yeah, yeah, we're, uh, and we'll be rolling new people into that over and over again. The thing that we're committed to is like showing you what it's really like, not just the wins. So, you know, it's crazy. We, We announced that we're doing that. We've had over 400 uh entrepreneurs, influencers or investors uh, sign up to be a part of the show. And we haven't even really promoted it that hard yet. Like, yeah. So that, that's been, be careful what you ask for. Cause you might get it. If you're like, God, 400 people signed up. And then you're like, wow, we got to look through 400 <laughs> different. So
1: yeah. Yeah, we're working us, our way through value. Let us know if we can be 401.
0: So, if you want to do anything again, Yeah, you it. should well, you need to go to startuphustle.xyz and fill out the registration form because I would be remiss if I let someone circumvent the the really tight process wink wink that we have around that. No, that's mainly so I don't have to do the work, but yeah, that's been fun, man. I'm really excited about that. That's, uh, uh, something different. People keep asking me, they, they love the idea of it and they're like, oh, is this going to be on Netflix? I'm like, I'm just trying to create something cool yeah, and meaningful and useful. And if that occurs, then you can have other conversations. So yeah. now speaking of conversations, this is where ours is about to come to an end. We end episodes of Startup Hustle with, or at least my episodes. And once again, I'm not the only host of Startup Hustle. Make sure you check out episodes from Andrew Morgan's talking about e commerce and Amazon. And my good friend, Lauren Conaway, talking about all the stuff she does with female innovation and her foundation organization, Innovate Her. So, really cool stuff. Really excited to work with them. And they'll be on Startup Hustle TV too. But in my episodes, I do what I call the founder's freestyle. Nice. And I want to give you an opportunity to, well, you can say about whatever you want. So I, I usually suggest that it be some kind of advice to someone somewhere, or if you want you can just freestyle. It's your, it's your, it's up to you, man. You just opened the door, Matt. So I could. I could, I know, all right. I know. I know. Um, Hold my beer. I'll be back. You're when you're
1: done. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I want to talk about tech specifically, and I want to talk about, uh, someone who's looking to get into technology who doesn't have a tech background. So if you're not a tech founder and you have no clue how to develop tech, like honestly, funny enough, I didn't even know what a web app was until like halfway through our company. And they're like, We got to develop the web app. And I was like, What do you mean? We're we're functioning on the web. Like, what do you mean? And they're like, You seriously don't know what a web app is? Like you've been the CEO of this company for a year and a half. Um, so my recommendation if you're getting into technology, and you don't have um, some sort of technical founder in your corner is get it. You got to find someone to partner with that's going to be that technical founder for you. Because I think Matt, as you mentioned in the beginning, you can go down rabbit holes of technology and you'll waste a lot of money trying to get a product for something that won't even turn out the way you want it. And so I got a buddy right now who's starting a company uh, for uh, tickets for events, which is kind of a cool concept. Essentially allows people to sell their tickets after the event has already started. So let's say they didn't sell them before the event, they can sell them during the event. So people that are there can kind of upgrade their seats yep. or whatever. So anyway, my advice to him is my same advice here. I said, go get a technical founder to join you on this journey. Because if you're going to try to do it on your on your own and go try to get funding or pump into building the technology, again, you're going to waste a lot of money. So. Find a technical founder, partner with a technical founder, or do what we did. And we had a trusted friend of a friend who ran a um, a tech uh, development company who became our main point of contact and is now our CTO. But latch on to someone who you relate to, who likes the business, that has technical capacity. Because otherwise, you will flounder, and it will be a nightmare, and you will
0: wish you never got into technology at all. You have to have someone who understands tech. So... Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna parlay on that for my freestyle because yeah, I take one too. Yeah. Um and you threw it up near the rim for me, so thanks. But look, I'm a non-technical founder and you gotta learn something. Like you can't be afraid of technology. Right. You need to try like get a surface knowledge of it, and you can like do that on YouTube. Like buy a book on Audible and listen to it while you're commuting or mm-hmm. Jogging or something because yeah. you need to be able to communicate with technical people. Now, that doesn't mean you need to write code. Like, for example, I people ask me all the time, they're like, Are you a developer? Because you know what you're talking about. I'm like, No, I, I don't even know how to write an HTML link without looking it up. Right. Because that's not, it was never what I was going to be good at. So, you know, and then other things too is like, you know, check out fullscale.io. Like, we are really, really, really good at identifying top talent. And that's where I see so many people fail is they have no clue what they're doing. They take the first option, they go to like some freelance site, they've got a proprietary idea that they just now completely let out to somewhere where they have no recourse over any of that IP yeah. and a lot of different stuff and you know, you can build a lot of garbage. And also when it comes to tech is you need, before you get started, you got to do some diligence and some research because you are likely to accumulate technical debt that you will have to repay. I went through that with Gigabook a couple of years in. I had brought on a co founder about a year and a half in, and he sa- says, dude, we're going to have to rewrite all of this. We have to do it different because this is never going to be what you want it to be. And I wanted to do something similar to like what you do. I wanted to be able to white label the engine and the tech and all that. And he's like this, it'll never happen. So, I mean, that cost me a six figure amount and, you know, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And some of that was just kind of having blind faith in whoever was building it or wanting to build it. And you only need to learn that lesson once, but, you know, just having a basic surface knowledge helps.
1: What's that?
0: most people won't survive that six
1: figure hit. you know, most businesses won't survive that
0: stage. So, yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I used to be a ticket broker. That was, that was the business that I was in for eight years. So I got a lot of uh, your buddy's got an uphill climb because that's a crowded space, but um, yeah, Yeah, that's, that's, uh, I'm happy. We, and we exited that business at the end of 2016 and, and God bless that we did because last year would have been a, Oh my God. Well, I'm, I'm not sure. I talk to my buddies that are still in that industry and like, I'll talk to him and I'll be like, dude, first off, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, I have been <laughs> talking to you for two years are you apologize. And I'm like, cause you're, cause I know I have a feeling what you're going through right now is an easy startups, yeah. business, all of that are not easy with that. I'm going to get back to working on my business and let you do the same. Thanks for joining me, Ryan. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> yep. See you down the road. Yeah.